Alright, in today's episode of Lighthouse Podcast, we're talking about Marky Moore and Core 52. The Fall, Chapter 3, is about the fall of mankind. And this is the episode where we read his chapter before we have reflections. So I'm going to do that, and then we will have an episode on the reflection about his chapter and how we um, see some good points, uh, see some different directions perhaps. Let's get into it. We have in his chapter, he titles it The Fall, and then he uses the verse 6 of Genesis chapter 3, when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate. So in his opening question, Marky Moore says, what is my problem? And so then he says, we've all felt the effects in our souls, like an odor in the room we can't identify or remove. It's called sin in the Bible. It's called psychosis in society. We all have this brokenness and we can't, that we cannot shake or justify. It affects our justified its effects are justified in the locker room, made legend in movies, and prosecuted in courts of laws. From personal offenses to systemic evils, sin has stained the fiber of humanity. It all started in a garden. The story is told in Genesis 3. It begins with a naked woman, a talking serpent, forbidden fruit, and a passive husband idly standing by. Eve knew the fruit was off limits, Yet the serpent's seduction won the day. She took the bait in a bite uh, while her husband stood dumb but not deaf beside her. Her eyes were opened to evil, to her naked body, and to the coming curse. From that ground zero, depth, uh, from that ground zero, death crept slowly across humanity. Eve's failure in the garden is neither far removed nor uncommon. This is the shared experience of humanity. So we should probably fall. Uh, so we should probably slow down long enough to ask, "What's my problem?" First, we should ask, "What captured Eve's attention?" Because it's the same thing that captures ours. Eve saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes, and the tree was to be desired to make one wise. What seduced her was Satan's half truth in the previous verse: "You will be like God." That's it. This is the temptation of self-determination. The promise that we can direct our own affairs and determine our own destinies. Pride becomes our Achilles heel. Pride isn't merely a sin. It's the sin. It's the genesis of every murder, theft, lie, adultery, and addiction. Every time it's at the root of why we prioritize our will over everyone else's good, even God's. That's why the Bible reiterates warnings about pride. Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall, Proverbs sixteen eighteen. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted, Matthew twenty three twelve. God opposes the proud, but himself will be uh, God opposes the proud, but the Lord no, excuse me, this is God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble, James chapter four, verse six. Uh, in the NIV, 1 Peter 5.5, 5, in the NIV, paraphrasing Proverbs 3.34. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. James 4.10. The, 
The Bible's full of warnings about pride and stories illustrating its catastrophic results. This is a subplot of nearly every book of the Bible because it's the source of our human condition. Then again, we probably don't need to read it in a book when we all see it in the mirror. For this reason, we called it, uh, we're called to carry a cross to lay down our lives and to be crucified with Christ. Self-improvement, self-respect, or self-management won't rescue us from the grip of sin. It's self-extermination, the annihilation of our pride that can bring us freedom. Perhaps this grates against our culture, which validates pride, but to affirm a disease that ravages one's soul is a cruelty. No matter how the social pundits put uh, spin, no matter how the social pundits spin the freedom of sin, the downward spiral will accelerate until we overcome our pride and submit to the power of God's love. The story of Eve was summarized thousands of years later by Jesus' best friend John. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 and 16. These three temptations, fleshly desires, visual craving, cravings, and social position are the core of Satan's arsenal, abetted, of course, by our pride. These are the prides of passion, possession, and position. These weren't just Eve's temptations and ours. They enticed Jesus in the wilderness. In Luke chapter 4, verses 1 through 14, he was tempted by Satan to turn a stone to bread, a form of the lust of the flesh. He was offered all the world's empires for the price of a simple bow. Hence, he was tempted by the lust of the eyes. Finally, he was challenged to throw himself off the pinnacle of the temple so that God would rescue him in the presence of the religious elite, securing their adoration and satisfying the pride of life. This is not to suggest that our temptations are the same as Jesus's. After all, Satan was giving Jesus the chance to bypass the cross, escape human suffering. Yet Jesus' temptations do mirror ours in that Satan's arsenal consistently contains uh, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. By understanding Satan's schemes, we can more confidently face his attacks. Just reading such a solution on paper seems easy. Face to face, however, Satan's deceptive arguments seem convincing. Satan lied to Eve. He said that he that he said she wouldn't die if she ate the forbidden fruit. Did she die? Actually, no. Not at least not at that moment. Would she die? Sure, we all do because of Eve's choice. The point is, is that what Satan communicates is seldomly, seldom entirely fabrication. That would hardly be effective. He's not going to say squares around. Any fool could see through that. Rather, he misdirects, misinforms, and misrepresents through half-truths. When he promises pleasure in a bed or a bottle, he holds it up. He holds up his end of the bargain. In short, uh, Satan seems sincere. What he holds close to his chest is the trump card of long-term consequences. There's pleasure in the pursuit of money, in the buzz of a drug, and in the frenzy of popularity. Make no mistake. Satan seldom makes promises he doesn't initially and partially keep. What he keeps hidden is the price tag. By the time we've signed the agreement, the charges on the ticket leave us bankrupt, breathless, and ashamed. Ask my friend Rick. After multiple affairs, while serving in ministry, his secret was exposed and his world was shattered. Only then did he start, in his own words, turning over the price tags. 
One tag and had the name of his wife, another his daughter, another his ministry, another his circle of friends. The price tags extend extended to his grandchildren, his second wife, by calling his by his calling by God. Had Satan shared with him up front even one or two of the price tags, Rick never would have fallen for such meaningless moments of gratification. In the heat of passion, he may, he had never imagined the consequences. Nor do any of us face, uh, nor do any of us, when faced with cheating, pornography, a bad party, a shady business deal, or simple theft, only uh, with a decade of hindsight can we recognize the full terms and conditions. The price is as high as our God is holy. God cursed Adam and Eve, both guilty of mutiny. That's right; it wasn't merely theft; it was mutiny. God's wrath rages. Not for the loss of property, but for for the full frontal assault on his position. He created this wondrous universe in a matter of days. The loss of one fruit from one tree is hardly a damnable offense. His concern was not trespassing, but mutiny. Eve, eyeing the prospect of becoming like God, took the bait and bit. In that momentary indiscretion, it was her divorce from the divine that was so egregious. This lump of flesh... Freshly drawn, freshly drawn from Adam's side, had the audacity to challenge God's eternal wisdom, his divine plan, his creational genius, and his spiritual authority. We also commit outrageous sedition when we declare ourselves sovereign. In reality, no human has the capacity to manage deification. This is why, of course, emperors and dictators, not to mention local celebrities, implode under their own weight of their own arrogance. For their mutiny, Adam and Eve would have to wear the burden of God's curse along with their new vestments of animal skins. The serpent would slither in the dust and ultimately be snuffed out by the seed of the woman. The woman would experience intense pain when she bore children and, and be at odds with her husband with little chance of prevailing. The, the man would earn a living by only the sweat of his brow. Though this may seem harsh in reality, this is, a dis, this is discipline more than punishment. For mutiny... What can we expect but exile? Adam and Eve were exiled from the garden for their own good. The garden is not our goal. The heart of God is. Uh, It does no good to live in luxury of utopia if we are bereft of character, character, relationships, and connection to the Creator. It's God himself, not his garden. That's our home. His gifts of procreation and working the garden are meaningless without the fellowship of God in the cool of the day. We sense this desperate need to fill a spiritual void. Our exile from Eden makes our souls cry for reconnection with our Creator. The curse is is the very thing that calls us back to our original destination. We return to God through repentance, retracing our steps to submission to our Creator. Here's the good news, a two-sided golden coin. First, our Creator sent His own Son to pay the price to remove the curse. Second, our a second, the Son of God sent His Holy Spirit to support us so that we can do better than Adam and Eve. Here's the promise. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful and He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with temptation, He will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. Wow. So this is uh, his key point. So the core of all sin is pride. That is the desire for self-determination. Uh, sin reduces, sin seduces us in one of three ways. Pride of passion, pride of possession, pride of position. And Satan des- 
deceives us with half-truths, not blatant lies. Very interesting. Very interesting chapter. Remember, this is called The Fall. And he brings up a lot of stuff. It, it seems to me that he has um, a lot of uh, sharp points that he is trying to make uh, in this reading. And we'll try to get into our reflections and try to um, dissect some of these. There's, there's a lot in here in this chapter. So thank you for listening. And if you have any questions, as always, uh, email gcoc.news at gmail.com. And we'll try to address those in the podcast. There's so many things in here in this chapter that uh, that it's really going to be difficult to have um, some good reflections on. But there will be some. So with that, um, you heard uh, by Gary Jewell's Mad World. And that certainly is what comes or is what is the result of all of our pride and sinfulness. So I'll leave you with that creepy music and we'll we'll see you in the reflections episode very soon.